0: Hello and welcome to On the Corner, the official podcast of PitchList.com. I'm your host, Eric Somolsky, ringing in the new year. Oh, yeah. With the lion himself, Nick Pollock.
1: What is happening? How are How we you doing? doing? Welcome to 24. We've got so many exciting things ahead and we're so happy that all of you are with us. Good to see you, Eric. Do you feel just like a different person
0: in twenty four? I feel like
1: this is the year I've been waiting for for a very long time like last year 2023 it was um put our head down get a full season under our belts we haven't had a proper full season since 2019 Mm -hmm. knock it out of the park uh it was a fantastic year and you guys can actually check all about what happened in uh, 2023 for us on the site Uh, as i have an in review article coming out on uh on thursday and also you'll see what's next as 2024 is the year that we get to really do the fun stuff behind the hood um and really just knock it out of the park again but also really prepare for a massive uh 2025 and 2026 ahead yeah and i i mean
0: you know we talked about it a little bit on the last pods but i've just been loving the um the kind of like pitch breakdowns you've been doing um there's just a lot of cool Stuff that's interesting for it's really blending the fantasy analysis with just real baseball analysis and discussion. And I kind of love that sweet spot. Um, so, yeah.
1: Well, thanks, buddy. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you know, when it comes to just starting pitching analysis, it's not really about fantasy first, it's about the skill set first. And then, of course, at the end, it's like, all right, then we have to add some fantasy spin with all that knowledge. But uh, what's really fun is doing those interviews with Pablo Lopez and Jameson Tyone and Aaron Savali. And it's absolutely incredible that they're taking their time to talk with us about yeah. it but it's such a good time talking shop as well so definitely check those out um the tie one should be out pretty soon I want to say either Friday or uh next week we're recording this on the 3rd of January um but yeah if, did you notice there was something else that we uh, we put on the site today Eric Ooh, today no I
0: did not I did not see today today my son went back to daycare so I was full-on into just like oh man make the house not look like a a, a trash zone mode well
1: well if you were on the discord you have seen that um stars had been added to people's names and why Ooh. why would they be named or added of a different colored name and the star what's going on we have lifetime subscriptions now for both pl plus and pl pro um it's uh it's one of those things that we've been talking about for a long time doing and we just kind of felt like the right time to do it uh it's a way for you the listener and reader of picture list to support us as much as possible while also if you know that you're going to be in this long haul with us which i mean let me tell you this is a very long haul for us mm-hmm. as i have no intention to sell this site I uh, then you essentially get it for free after four years <laughs> forever all the things that we ever add to pl pro and all that kind of stuff um, and the reason we're doing that is we have all these fun projects that we're working on. And I'm going to outline them in that article. I'm talking about uh, where we just thought, you know what, let's let's put this in the hands of the community as much as possible. And uh, yeah, we're really excited for what's ahead. And we thank everybody for becoming a lifetime subscriber. You also get a, a really cool hoodie that says pictureless Hall of Famer on it. Yeah, uh, which is pretty fun. Everybody loves uh, but, um, to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, right. Uh, if you don't right. want a hoodie, you can get a T-shirt and mug instead. But um, it's just exclusive to those that are lifetime supporters. And of course, you get all of PL Pro forever. All the uh, new stuff that we bring in will never have a digital subscription tier higher than PL Pro. Um, So uh, you should feel very secure about getting it. And my whole goal is just to make that one um, subscription like the Amazon Prime, where you just shove everything into one. All the additions I'm thinking about, all the projects are just about making PL Pro the most obvious purchase anyone can make. Um, if you are a baseball fan and uh, yeah, we're just really excited about Sam. We're also just really happy Yeah, We give an opportunity for the community to really dig their heels in and showcase um, uh, your affinity for this place and that you were here uh, back way back when in 2024, where you could initially be a lifetime supporter. So go check yeah. it out. com slash lifetime and hope to uh, yeah. Hope you can be a lifetime supporter today.
0: And most of us are in this fantasy game for more than four years. So, you know, instead of oh, having man. to keep doing this over and over again, year after year, like just, you know, you do it the one time after four years, you know, the, it's, it's called playing with house money. Yeah, there you go. That. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely um, right. And it's also, it's limited. We're not going to do this. Uh, we're going to close it. Um, we're going to keep it like off and on a bit um, because we can't just, uh, we, you can't really overload it uh, right away. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested, uh, it's probably going to be available for, Uh, We only have so many. Um, I would say probably a week or so, and then we'll uh, bring it back sometime later this year. Um, But if you want to be a part of it and be one of those early adopters, then uh, yeah, now's the time to do it.
0: It's the perfect time too, because remember there was like, there was girl math, there was like New York math, there are all these <laughs> things. This is like, this is fantasy math, right? And then after yeah. four years, it pays for itself. It's free. It's it does. It's free.
1: Um, and if you're wondering uh, what comes next with that Peel Pro subscription, check out tomorrow's article. But just a preview of that is uh, we have a brand new live um, auction draft assistant or sorry, live draft assistant tool. There we go. Which is much nicer looking than it was before. We actually have a lot more custom features than we did last year to really make it that all-encompassing tool that you guys want with market values built in, which is pretty cool um, for your auction drafts. Uh, We have uh, our PLV apps um, and a lot more that we're building this year to release. We have beta testing for a mobile app later this year. Uh, And a lot more to say about that in the future, but um, it's not just going to be a PitcherList app. We want it to be like a baseball app that is powered by PitcherList. And that's a really, really cool thing. Um, we also have this thing that is called the Pro Dashboard um, that we are working on. And that might not see the light of day for a bit. And there's a lot of refinement to do there. But once again, those that are lifetime supporters will have beta access to that um, and get be able to use it before everyone else. So uh, we're really excited about all this stuff. And yeah, again, having lifetime subscriptions really just allows us to do those things faster and get them in your hands quicker. So thanks for your support,
0: guys. Always pushing the envelope forward uh, in both baseball and fantasy. Love it. Um, The new year brings a lot of that new stuff that Nick was just talking about. It also brings Nick and I starting to turn our attention to the 2024 season. Um, You know, we've been doing a lot of these podcasts together, breaking down uh, Nick's top 200. Um, looking kind of back at what happened in 2023, looking ahead a little bit at, at 2024, but just kind of going off that list uh, that Nick had put together um, in middle of October, I believe was when it finally came out. Yeah. Or maybe maybe yeah, early yeah, November, like <laughs> it was a long time ago. Like that. Um, uh, yeah. So we've got a, we have a, I mean, Nick and I went over the podcast topics from now until March 25th. We have just a slate coming for you this is so like much. this is this rivals the marvel slate for 2024 i mean <laughs> just like so much stuff uh coming in the, in the weeks to come um so you know we're gonna start going on some deep dive pitchers um we're gonna go uh for some sleepers some guys who are being forgotten we're gonna go back through some of the top 100s when nick and i re-rank we're gonna go through our favorite starting pitchers as we get deeper into draft season um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. We're, we're really kind of geeked about this right now. Uh, today's topic, we're looking at 10 starting pitchers uh, that we like that are currently going outside of the top 300. Uh, so that's five for Nick, five for me. Uh, this is outside of the top 300 NFBC ADP from December 1st on. So uh, from December 1st till today, January 3rd, starting pitchers going outside of the top 300 uh, who Nick and I are... Um, kind of leaning towards right now. And uh before we dive into it, I'm just curious: did you have like a did you have any sort of criteria you were using for this, or was it just like these are guys that I these are guys that I like, and I just want to talk about them today?
1: It's so funny. Um, before you even jump into this, I'm I am thinking more of the NFBC 15 teamer, um, idea with this because we're only outside the top 300. Honestly, it, it's rare for me to say like, no, this guy I want at 450. I'm going to draft in my 12 teamers. There is maybe one or two of mine. That I'm like, oh yeah, no, these guys should be drafted in 12 teamers. Um, I'd say the other three, I'm probably not. They're more streaming options. um Is it just me though? I, I we did this starting on December 1st to now, and that that really bothered Eric because he had a guy that he'll probably <laughs> mention later do, who, yeah. who fell back inside the top 300. And he's like, oh come on, oh. can't do that guy now, and I. Uh, I found that there were far fewer options than previous years. I, I, I always feel like in the 300 to 400, there's like a good bevy of dudes that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. these guys are going to be inning getters. And I feel like, you know, this one is going to be great and all that kind of stuff. And it's just no, all of them are in like 260 range now. I do so wonder it's if, it's,
0: if it is a trickle down from the not having a lot of secure things with the with the ace level we talked about this earlier on right with all with all the injuries um to our kind of like sp1 sp2 tier um and also just some of the uncertainty around that right we're not getting as you mentioned on twitter and we've talked about a lot like you're not getting those locked in innings like we historically have thought we were getting right if we take our, our our pocket aces or whatever so i think you're seeing at least from early NFBC adp you're seeing people kind of get those safer arms in the mid to late 200s that i think normally fall to the end because people are seemingly we're just speculating here i personally haven't done a draft yet um People are getting to points where they feel a little bit uncertain about their rotation, maybe a little earlier, or they're a little uncomfortable earlier in the draft than they have been in the past. And so, you know, you get guys going off the board a little bit earlier. Like, you know, I guess Marcus Stroman was always in in the top two hundreds, um, but you know, you get guys who might have fallen, like you know, Reese Olson, uh, John Means, like Seth Lugo, who are all going, you know, in the back half of the two hundreds. Who I think. You know, historically speaking, you know, Michael Waka, we may have seen fall a little further.
1: Right. I mean, Nestor Cortez at 283. You have uh, yeah. even like Emmett Sheehan, who's gotten more love now at 263. I thought, oh, yeah. cool. That would be a fun one to go after. Nope. He, he's pushed up as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, who was the guy that just missed it for you? Just,
0: yeah, it was, it was Griffin Canning for me, who's now 292. Um, and I was I was really excited to talk about him. Um, and so he doesn't qualify. And I also was going to talk about Mackenzie Gore. And he is dead on at 300. And since we were saying guys outside of the top 300, um, he technically missed that cut as well. Um, so those are, are two guys who moved up into the top 300 that are interesting and you know even like a guy like cutter crawford right he's inside the top 300 Uh, these are guys historically i think we would have seen a little lower and and maybe we do see them start to trend down a little bit um we'll see how we'll see how it goes historically speaking starting pitching tends to go up as we get toward like main events and those sort of drafts we tend to bump up starting pitching so um this will be this will be interesting for us i we've talked a lot about late draft gambles on starting pitching, right? Not trying to just kind of take the boring veteran. And there are some here. They're not interesting, and I don't know that either you or I are going to talk about some of these guys. Um, but, you know, there's some swings that you could take here um, that we'll discuss in the next few minutes. Right. Um, we're not going to do tiers, but I did want to name – I did want to get some, some – names on at least the, the back and forth the rounds we can say we'll we, you know we'll alternate um each going to give five guys so we're going to go through five sections of this and i want you to rank now we're you and i are not ranking our the pitchers that we're naming but i want you to rank uh for everybody here just because i'm super curious each round is going to be named after or named after your favorite pitch so now, I want you. are okay, going to be ranking
1: or like type. players'
0: pitch. Your your type like type of pitch like a two seam okay. cutter, a sinker, a four seam, uh, a mm. a twelve six curve, a sweeping curve. Uh, you know, any I, I want to get inside of your brain as the pitcher of which pitches you really like and and why, and they don't have to be from your. They could you could do it any way you want. When you were pitching, if you were to build your ideal arsenal. Uh, When you're just watching pitching, Mm -hmm. just if you had a ball of clay and it was like, turn this ball of clay into a pitcher, what would its five pitch arsenal be? So Um, uh,
1: mm -hmm.
0: we'll start with your fifth ranked pitch and then you can talk about your first pitcher outside of the top 300 that you're into. (sighs)
1: So if it's my fifth ranked, well, let me let me go from the top because I can't okay, even like fine. figure it out. We'll start from uh, we'll start
0: from the f- the top. Number one. Numero uno. I
1: am going to be honest with you. The the filthiest slider is just the most beautiful thing to look at. Mm. Um, because it normally is, it can be even deceptive. If you were actually thinking to yourself, this is going to be a fastball, and then it just doesn't. If you think it's going to be like a two seamer that goes the opposite way, and then you, it breaks the opposite direction, it's so beautiful. And it's the times that when you really feel like, oh man, this is filthy. Uh, It's when it's just a brilliant slider. Like I'm thinking like the Corey Kluber one to Jose Brejo. That was just (laughs) what is the uh, like branded into my brain. Um, It's the best thing ever. Um, And Eric Cabrera is someone that I am considering now. Mm. I didn't think that I would be. I really truly didn't because you see a 144 whip. You see a 424 ERA 15% walk rate. It's pretty obvious that uh, he has a lot of things. That he needs to figure out and what's sticking to me a bit um is when i watch edward cabrera i don't really see a horrible um a horrible delivery i don't think his mechanics are terrible and normally when i see such high walk rates it comes with a more violent motion to me i think he has a very long arm circle and it's possible that if he finds a way to maybe shorten that maybe adjust Just somehow to get more consistent on the release, then that walk rate drops uh, dramatically to a point where he actually can throw enough strikes with his changeup or just anything against right-handers. Right-handers, it's it's sixty-two percent strike rate with his four-seamer. Changeup's only fifty-seven percent. Curveball is only sixty percent. But the thing is, batters cannot hit his changeup. It's a twenty-seven percent ICR, and he's throwing a twenty-nine percent usage. Like, it's such an unbelievably hard pitch to hit. And I do wonder if Cabrera can just find a little bit more rhythm on it. It swings massively in his favor that he's able to earn that many more strikes. And then against lefties, he actually gets all the strikes with his changeup and his curveball. Um, 64% strike rate on his changeup, 65% on his curveball. I and mean, once again, both are really good. Oh, actually, really, the curveball isn't. But the changeup, once again, is so good at eliminating... Hard contact, which is a 25% ICR. These are both elite rates. His changeup is one of the best in the game at limiting hard contact, and this is a pitch he throws 31% of the time. It's right there. It's just this little extra element of adjustment that he needs to make on on his pitches. And he elevates his four-seamer for what it's worth. Uh, It's not really the best offering, but it does create this level of deception of four-seamers upstairs and changeups down. And the curveball can be an effective pitch. I mean, as I was just mentioning, a 41% CSW against lefties is really high. Um, It's just about righties. It doesn't really miss all the bats that we want. It doesn't get enough strikes at 60%. We want to be closer to like 63, 64. And that four-seamer does get crushed too much against righties with a 43% ICR. He just doesn't get it inside enough. So I think there is room for... Eric Cabrera to be much better than he currently is. Last year, he only allowed a seven hit per nine. Mm -hmm. It was just that he walked too many batters and had a 27% K rate. I actually believe that once you get more innings under your belt, you do get um, better at limiting walks. We hear that all the time with young pitchers and 15% walk rate we know is just an atrocity, right? He knows this. We all know this. This should get better. So my question is just how much better and if he does make that tweak it's kind of hard to find someone outside of the 300 at this point who can conceivably make a a tweak to really be a a stud at that and become more efficient and be a solid starter with a 25 carry. rate
0: yeah i i love we've talked about him on on the show before i love the the basically just the explanation at the end of like at this juncture in a draft it's rare to find somebody who has the ceiling that edward cabrera does and honestly like it may it may be counterintuitive to suggest that he has a safe floor but he has a safe floor relative to the adp that you're taking him at yeah
1: that's because a
0: lot of these players that you're going to take outside of the top 300 are guys who are potentially going to be out of a rotation completely or could totally blow up and i think that edward cabrera's floor is probably he pitches mediocre enough that they move him into a multi-inning relief role where he's really good Mm -hmm. and so maybe you get a little bit of like when the red sox moved pavetta out of the rotation last year and he went into the multi-inning role and was lights out like i i think that that's kind of a reality for cabrera where you're like i don't think this pick ever really blows up in your face um and then there's all the rumors that like the marlins are maybe not looking to trade their young, controllable starting pitching, but are open to trading it. And so either they trade somebody like Jesus Lizardo, who's you know frequently in rumors, and that opens up even more of a guaranteed rotation spot for Cabrera, or they trade Cabrera. And maybe they trade him to a place that has maybe a better overall team context in terms of wins, or he's locked into a rotation more, or, or whoever. Um, my concern with him is, He's a high ground ball rate guy with a middle infield that's still currently Luis Arias and John Birdie, um, which isn't enough to like make me not want to draft him. But it is something where it's like, I would love their infield defense to be a little better Yeah, with a ground no, ball pitch.
1: I definitely get that. And I do want to mention this is more um, this is more of really like the quick adjustment or out, right? I mean, Eric Cabrera yeah. could through the year be good, but you don't really want to be stuck with this because the whip will hurt you. And the innings aren't going to be there because of the inefficiencies the high walk rates. Keep in mind that also means that you have, uh, you throw more pitches uh, per plate appearance uh, to get to four at least, right? So it means that you throw fewer innings for lower chance at a win as well. So this is definitely something that if you're drafting now, you really are paying attention to this in, this, in spring training, seeing those walk rates are lower. This is the most shallow, uh, easy thing you can do is <laughs> just like, don't really care about anything. Is Eric Cabrera walking guys in the spring? Yes. Okay, never mind. Are the mechanics in any way different? Uh, no. Okay. I probably don't think this is going to work out, but definitely keep an eye out through that year to see if all of a sudden those walks come down and if something did really change uh, against right handers.
0: Yeah. And, and my pitcher that I'm going to go with is also somebody you're going to make a decision on really quickly. Um, and we'll get to that person after this break so my pitcher is garrett whitlock um and the reason we're going to make a quick decision on him is because we don't even know if he's going to be in the rotation um (laughs) and so you will find that out uh come spring and that will determine whether you're willing to take a shot on garrett whitlock uh but i can tell you that his current adp is at pick 426 um so that my friends is basically free Um, the Red Sox have said that they're stretching out Whitlock. He is coming into spring training, competing for a job. Same with Tanner Houck, uh, same with Nick Pavetta. They, all three are guys who have pitched in the rotation and in the bullpen. Um, I don't think either any of the three of them is quote unquote locked into a starting rotation spot, even though most people assume Pavetta and Houck are, you know, front runners, let's say. Uh, also, we don't know if the Red Sox are, are done. I think the expectation is they're going to add at least one more starting pitcher. Um, for my purposes, I think that knocks Cutter Crawford out of the rotation. Uh, mm-hmm. Cutter Crawford, another guy who has started and relieved. Um, so then I think you're basically looking at Pavetta, Hauk, Whitlock, Crawford for two spots in the rotation. Um, with the other guys going into the bullpen so my love of Garrett Whitlock here is on the belief that he does earn a spot in the starting rotation um, in deeper formats I think as a multi- inning guy he could be um, beneficial for you as well but we're gonna talk about why I like him in general first uh battled two arm injuries last year um, one was a the the one over the summer that happened in July he was out for a while was a bone bruise. In the elbow, um, so it wasn't as you know some major like ligament issue or something like that. But obviously, you know, arm issues on your throwing elbow um, tend to have major impacts on uh, the pitch mix, pitch performance. Mm-hmm. I I really like just the foundation of his arsenal. Um, he has kind of like a little bit of a, a whip delivery to him when the way that he kind of brings his arm around and he's sinker, changeup, slider. So ev- nothing is. Is straight. I mean, he technically throws a four seamer, but he doesn't really. Um, and the changeup and the slider to me are are really good pitches. Like when they're working, the changeup and slider are great. And the way that they kind of um, tunnel with each other and then break to opposite parts of the plate can make him incredibly deceptive. Um, nothing really worked for him last year. I think that that yeah. like nobody would nobody would argue against that. You know the. He still got really good swinging strike rates um, on the slider and the changeup. He did tweak the slider um, in 2023 to make it more like to give it more sweep. It had way more horizontal movement. Um, we'll see oh, yeah. if that's something that he keeps um, in in 2024. I believe he will because the slider actually got better. Um, it had a lower defense independent ERA, gave up fewer barrels, Um, Still had an over 20 swinging strike rate, even though it was like a little bit down from from 2022. Um, So I like that pitch a little bit more. And I think that the that he will gain his feel back for that change up a little bit. Um, And so in a bad year, we're still talking about a guy who posted um, uh, 31.5% CSW has like elite command. Um, so he had a 19.2% K minus walk rate, uh, on the year, 12.7%. Oh, sorry. 19.4% K minus walk rate, 12.9% swinging strike rate, 3.67 Sierra three, the uh, 31.5% CSW. So it was under the hood looked pretty good. And we've seen what he's capable of doing when he's healthy. And I think that he's got some swing and miss. He pounds the zone. The team context is is good. I do believe he can go five or six innings, you know, consistently when healthy. Um, and so again, here's a guy where he might not have the the true ceiling that like Edward Cabrera has if everything clicks for Edward Cabrera. But I, I think that Whitlock could easily be like an SP four for your fantasy rotation. If things break right for him this year Uh, and if things break wrong, he's not in the rotation. And so that's why I kind of love it as a pick at the end of the draft, because we're talking about redrafts here. And if you take him and he's not in the rotation, you're not hanging on. You're just moving and grabbing somebody who, you know, you can grab who wins a spot or looks great in spring training or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. so, So here's the thing. Garrett Whitlock is a sinker slider guy against righties and a sinker changeup guy against lefties. I mean, the changeup is involved to both. Um, 18% usage against uh, against righties, uh, and if you have 32% against lefties, and it's kind of reversed with the slider. Um, you said the slider got better, and I don't know if it did. Uh, it did in get you know it got more whiffs against lefties. But uh its ICR in both years was just terrible, like horrifically bad, like sixty-two percent ICR against lefties in both twenty twenty two and uh twenty twenty three. More While-
0: few, fewer bar- fewer barrels. It, the barrel rate allowed twenty twenty two was thirty. Sixty percent ICR
1: is like, dude.
0: Sure. Well, I said I said it got better. I didn't say that it I didn't say that it was tremendous. Um,
1: Which tra- And I mean- then it had worse contact in twenty twenty. Um uh, 2023 but more importantly the strike rate dropped 10 points Yeah i uh, dropped sorry i uh, dropped not necessarily 10 points actually no yeah it was 10 points i got this right 10 points between 2022 2023 that is the slider uh that's a huge deal well, for with
0: but exp- but explain to people like so he threw 71 innings last year mm-hmm. in and out of the rotation sure in and in and off the the ir the il sorry yeah. um with a new pitch. So explain to somebody as a pitcher too, like it takes a while to get fully comfortable with throwing a new pitch. And then when your season is fractured as it is, it would be understandable that somebody would not have full feel or control or comfort with that pitch, even at the end
1: of the season. Absolutely. Um, It's not out of the question whatsoever. It's 56% strike rate is really bad, especially for a slider to the same handed batter. Um, That is a big deal. And uh, I'm not saying that that's what's going to be next year, uh, but this is something that he does need to reclaim. Even though he had a 21% swing strike where he executed, you know he got the results when he did execute it well. But there were a lot of signs last year. I mean, obviously the injuries could have been a major factor. He still had that low walk rate, but I would say the overall command that we saw from uh, from Whitlock last year just wasn't really that good. Too many hittable pitches with both the changeup and the slider. The sinker that had this elite 17% swing striker against lefties in 2022 just disappeared, went under 10%, which is kind of normal. It was really weird when we saw it in 2022. Um, I like Whitlock. I think that obviously last year, a lot of factors went into it being in relief, starting injuries, all that kind of stuff. Um, He didn't really get settled in, but he still needs to prove things to me even sure. if he does start that he has that command, there's control that he has, but because he throws so many strikes. Um, I mean, we're looking against righties here. Every single uh, season, he always be throwing <laughs> He's like 75% strike rate on his sinker. Last year is just absolutely ridiculous. 66% on the, the change up. He throws a ton of things in the zone and it makes guys complacent. Just to swing. He had super high swing rates. And that's why you saw a 10 plus hit per nine last year for garrett whitlock that is really bad and then it was under eight in the two previous years so there's something to be said here for whitlock that you know he clearly was not himself last season i don't know how far back he's going to get mm-hmm. there is hope that if he can maintain those whiffs on the cutter sorry the change up in the slider and he doesn't make as many mistake pitches with them, and still can earn enough strikes. Especially that slider, really to right-handers. You gotta, you gotta throw strikes with it. That's yes. everything that you need. And really, even seeing, um, I the the sinker itself, I uh, just get hit hard. Um, it's not really that fun. So you throw everything together here. Uh, you know, there was a forty-five percent ICR on that sinker instead of the thirty-three percent that we saw in the previous two years. You got you to gotta hope that Whitlock can swing the right way again. If he can, yeah, there is promise here. I mean, he had two pitches that get whiffs and he would theoretically get frames for the Red Sox. I think he can be an efficient pitcher because of that low walk rate. It's just about how do you keep throwing those strikes and not allowing as many hits uh, consistently. And I hope he can get back to that. So I like this pick as let's we'll just see what happens and see if he gets into a feel here. Um, but definitely uh, be aware of where he's locating those changeups and sliders in the zone um, early on. If he's really not yeah. finding the feel of that slider consistently um, and he's not getting the the whiffs or the, really the the results against righties, right. it's going to be tough for him.
0: Well, and those are kind of, I mean, again, and we go back to like he's being drafted 423 right now, which takes yeah. in everything you're saying. And that's, I think all of that risk is tied in, in the sense of because he's battling for a rotation spot, if he's not throwing the slider for strikes, he's not winning a rotation spot. So then right. you're not you don't have to worry about it anyway. It's not like he's going to be in the rotation because and if I mean, I don't want to say it's not going to happen because we don't know what's going to happen with injuries or whatever, but it is highly unlikely that he is inefficient and still wins a spot in the rotation and we have to say, "Ooh, is it worth him keeping him on my team because he doesn't really look that great?" He's going to have to earn a spot in the rotation by pitching up to the caliber that we think that he can pitch to and if he does that in the spring and earns the spot then it would be because these things are breaking right for him and we're starting to see the level that we think is there beneath the surface and then we would feel confident or more confident going into the season with him on our teams and if it's not there he doesn't have a spot we cut him loose we go on to somebody else we got him, we cut him That's loose. We kind of. we're we're good. We
1: got no feelings
0: from uh, <laughs> this. No feelings.
1: It, it um, is it is really fun though. I mean, like like does have those two whip pitches right? And please just locate that sinker well enough once yeah, again. That'd be great. But be yeah, it's. Perfect. I mean, the Red Sox are weird too. Like can and Cutter Crawford. I uh, I don't know. I I really do not believe in Tanner Halk. I'm so sorry, everyone, but I feel like yeah. he breaks the Wasker rule, which is a really good slider that doesn't I, do as well as it should. And then a fastball that isn't good enough in the splitter that's inconsistent. And like what else is there? I believe uh, in I
0: now. believe that how could be a solid, like two-inning relief pitcher, though. Um, yeah. No, well, right. That's what he's built yeah. for. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what I mean, this what for me, what also hangs over all the Red Sox stuff is three major changes to their pitching development in the offseason.
1: Oh yeah. One yeah. is
0: the hiring of Craig Breslow, who as a former pitcher built up. Part of his reputation is with, you know, redesigning and redeveloping um, pitching teams. They hired Andrew Bailey as a pitching coach from the Giants. They also hired Justin Willard away from the Twins. Um, Justin Willard is uh, going to be the director of pitching for the Red Sox now, after he was the pitching coordinator for the Twins. And he was hired basically to quote unquote overhaul their entire pitching infrastructure. <laughs> so it's like those are three guys that we we that we have seen have success in really kind of reshaping the way that individual pitchers and organizations handle pitching. I don't know what, you know, four months of them being on the job is gonna lead to, but it might actually be interesting because we weren't really interested in the twins as a pitching organization a few years ago. And now we are, and I know it's because they're using driveline, but we've seen development with the organization. And would be curious to see if any of those uh, moves have an impact on some of these Red Sox pitchers. Absolutely. Uh, so what is your number two favorite pitch? And then what other pitcher do you want to talk about outside the top 300?
1: <laughs> oh man. I mean, I'm so conflicted on this. I will always uh, no. everyone's going to hate me if I say that. Uh, I'm going to say a curveball. It's got to be. It's it's what I threw in high school. It was my pitch was the curveball. And I threw like the Barry, Barry Zito kind, which was more of the... It wasn't really 12-6. It was more of like the the 1-7. Um, but it, I, I would aim it at the front shoulder of all right-handers and then they would swerve back and then it would come over the plate and it would surprise them all And their high schoolers and they didn't know any better. It was great. It was the most fun thing ever. And uh, learning a curveball is just what really... I think shaped my love for pitching. So it's gotta be that.
0: I felt like a traitor as a catcher. Cause you know, I'm still a hitter at heart, but making hitters look stupid was so enjoyable. They're so good man. It's really enjoyable. It's like a little Benedict Arnold thing you get going on <laughs> as a catcher. Um What's the next picture you want to talk about or who, sorry, is the next pitcher you want to talk about?
1: Let's talk about Clark Schmidt because I don't know, like he's fine. He's fine. <laughs> done clark, clark, I, I, don't, I, I, was, I was really surprised at this uh the yankees believe it or not are still going to win games they just won 84 games missing judge for two months and uh even maybe even longer they just got one soda they're gonna do something else to that offense now i'm sure they're gonna win ball games and clark schmidt is still pretty good like it's, it's not i'm not saying that he's the greatest thing ever but he's a toby and i'm even thinking 12 teamers there will be certainly times that I will have Clark Schmidt on my team this year. And for him to be outside of the 300 and actually get like, yeah, this could be a decent win guy. Um I, I really just think it's that simple. I love the fact that uh, Schmidt is trying his best to figure out what the heck he's supposed to do against lefties. It's like really is just I don't know what to do at this moment. Um, Is it sliders and cutters? Well, the thing is that's the that cutter is only like a 39% ICR and 46 percent on the slider because yeah it's more of a sweeper and sweepers generally don't work to opposite handed batters but he just doesn't have a good change up and he can't get that cutter quite inside enough it's not one of those really biting ones that just dominate uh glove side consistently and then when your best fastball is not a four seamer which can work against opposite handed batters really well when it's a sinker you're like oh i shouldn't be throwing this thing this isn't what i want to be doing so, it's a little bit tough. That's going to be the biggest problem for him, but against right-handers, I mean, he's he should stop throwing that sinker, first of all. Um, I mean, it's a 42% ice here because he doesn't jam it enough inside batters. Uh, inside is pretty average of 48%. Um, but the slider is, the sweeper is really good. It's devastating. He gets strikes with it constantly. He limits hard contact on it. The cutter is even better. Uh, he had an expo bacon just 300 this year, Ex-b- uh bat of two is, 31 because it's icr was 25 which is so good in a near 70 strike rate and that as well and he'll be fine against righties like that's really good and the one thing i want to emphasize is when it comes to pitchers you want them always to be better against right handers i don't care if you're lefty or righty if you're better against right handers you're generally going to be better <laughs> than those that are only good against lefties why because there are more right handers if you can't take down right-handers in the majors, you just won't work out mm-hmm. as, a, as a starter. So that's the first baseline. And Clark Schmidt already the, that's has That's the
0: that. Graham Ashcraft rule.
1: Yeah, there it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you can't do that, then you're not going to make it. And Clark Schmidt can do that. So he's got to figure out something against lefties, whether it's gain that cutter inside more, whether it's figuring out how to throw more of a gyro slider against them, as opposed to sweepers. Sweepers are just worse against opposite hand batters. Gyro sliders work because you can go actual back foot. Um and really get that depth down while sweepers kind of go more toward the thigh where that would be level with the bat and they can just hook that down the line easily. So you have to really do backdoor stuff like Chris Sale, but uh, and then sinker I don't, I don't I don't know what to do, man. Curveballs and cutters with something else, please show up, Clark Schmidt. We need it. Um, but outside of that, if you figure something out there, then great. Then he's going to be a sturdy sub 40 year right guy, like okay i'll take that and especially in 15 teamers i'll take a shot on this because the yankees right now have him very clearly in the rotation
0: yeah and very clearly and he probably has a buffer even if they um add one more arm would be my take right now
1: right i mean am i forgetting another yankee starter they don't have one because they traded away michael king
0: yeah no they i think he's there for right now beater yeah And and listen, Beater and and Thorpe and Will Warren, like those guys could push for not Thorpe, he's not here anymore. Oh, true, right? Yeah, he's gone. He's out of here. here. (laughs) Um, Those guys could push for for spots, um, but not. I don't think it's Schmitz unless he face plants. They're gonna bring in somebody else. Um, I I really, I can't see the Yankees going into the the year without adding another guy. Gotta be be. showing. There, there are reports out today that they're they're interested in bringing back Montgomery
1: again. We'll see. Um, Don't do that. That is signing Montgomery is what is such a Mets move, not a Yankees move. (laughs) And everybody listening right now just nodded in agreement. Okay, that is the most Mets move ever to get Jordan Montgomery, who only really excelled for like a month and change last year, who was pretty pedestrian the rest of the way. And should not, in my view, as far as a long-term signing, he is not someone that should demand whatever contract he's going to get. It's just a product of the market right now. The Yankees should not be doing that. I would be very, I, very upset if they did.
0: I got to say, the more that I I start like you know digging in as we get into the offseason, I keep dropping him further and further down
1: my rank. <laughs> the sinker isn't very good. The curveball yeah. doesn't get nearly as many whiffs as you want. And they're just too few strikes it's uh, he has to be perfect around the edges and he was in rhythm during the postseason and that's great i'm so happy for him but remember when he was dealt in july jordan montgomery mm. was it was like a nothing trade to us it didn't feel like right. oh my gosh jordan montgomery mo-. it was just okay yeah jordan montgomery okay what's next you know yeah. and now he's demand we're hearing i don't know something ridiculous like well over a hundred million dollar signings what is what is the world
0: Playoff like, boost, baby! Playoff. Oh boost.
1: god! Playoff tax, indeed. Yeah. Oh man! All right, who's your next guy?
0: Um, my next guy is a, t- a former teammate of Clark Schmidt's, and we'll get to him right after this break.
1: The Mets are going to do it, Eric. I'm telling you, it's like the most Mets thing ever. I mean, they probably need at this point they need to sign somebody. It's going. It's going to be Montgomery. Everyone's going to be like, "This is so oh. boring." <laughs> Terrible. The new rumors I love
0: are that the Red Sox are going to unload prospects to get Lazardo
1: Oh, that's interesting which I would love to see. So we'll see if they know. can make that happen. I don't, I don't think Lizardo's fastball is good enough. He I mean, the slider and he has an injury I'd right? rather
0: do that than sign Montgomery or Luzardo? Snell to a long-term deal. Like,
1: two years left of Lizardo?
0: Yeah, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're trading like Mayer or Teal or somebody like that. They, they now have a few prospects that are redundant after getting Grissom and, but, you know,
1: but aren't, so. aren't the Red Sox like giving up for this year? No. What do you mean? Oh get
0: Well, I don't know that they're giving up for this year. But you know what I mean
1: like Lozardo get is like what the Yankees would do for 2 years cuz this is their window.
0: But I think the Red Sox would I, I think the Red Sox assume their window is in the next like 3 to 5 2 to 5 years maybe. Let's oh, say. Man. So Lozardo could fit that better than like Snell and Montgomery do. Or even has 3 a, years so that makes Iman more Naga, sense. who's a 30 year who's 30 years old, you know what I mean?
1: Like I Minaga's mean,
0: dope. Sure, but <laughs> Yeah. All right, so my pitcher is former Clark Schmidt teammate Luis Severino, uh, who is now with the Mets, who's going pick three ten. Um, so we talked about the gambles that we're willing to take outside of the top three hundred. Um, Whitlock was a an injury kind of bounce back, um, you know, just a, a betting on potential upside. Severino is the type of risk that's just a he can't possibly be this bad. Um, <laughs> It's also, if you want to, he wasn't really technically injured. I mean, I guess he started the year injured. um, And so maybe you want to call that an injury bounce back as well. But like, it's just a former ace who had a really bad year. And now everybody has kind of forgotten about. And outside of the top 300, I'm willing to just say, I didn't see any of this coming heading into 2023. 2023 was not a good year. Um, there's no. not a lot to look at where you're like, oh well, he did this under the surface, which makes us, you know, think, blah blah blah. But outside of the top 300 in a redraft league, I'm willing to say, I can't imagine that Luis Severino at let's clarify this age real quick at you know he'll pitch next year at 30 years old with a fastball velocity that was exactly the same as before as in 2022 just totally forgot how to pitch um yeah. er- everything was worse the home run to fly ball rate jumped up to 2.32 um even though his career average is 1.26 uh so the homer fly ball rate was crazy his uh strand rate you know the left on brace rate was super super low the babib was up at 328 um it's 298 for his career the whip was egregiously high. Hits per nine were high. Um, his changeup got fewer whiffs. His slider got fewer whiffs. I'm basically telling you all the reasons you should not be <laughs> drafting Luis Severino. And I I want to make it clear that like I'm not gonna give you some nugget that's gonna unlock why he's gonna be so much better in 2024. I'm just saying at the end of drafts, if I have my rotation set yeah, I'm willing to draft him to put on my bench and say, okay, if he's even 75% of the Luis Severino that we saw prior to 2023, it's a massive win on where he's going in drafts right now at that ADP. And he's another guy where you'll see in the spring, right? Like, I know it's not gonna be he's not gonna be going up against major league hitters, you're gonna look at his baseball reference number, you know, competition number, and you're gonna say, Oh, he's facing double A hitters. But like you can look at him on the mound, you'll be able to look at his stuff, and you'll be able to look at the VO and you'll be able to look at the movement on the pitches, and you'll be able to just say, Is this a guy who has completely lost everything? Is he getting lit up? Um, and I'm willing to, you know, put him on a bench for two or three starts at the beginning of the year and and see what we got.
1: I think it's actually pretty easy. This is the easiest thing to me. Uh, it's, it's, there's one stat that, to me, separates Luis Severino's 2022 and his 2023. It's not the massive home run to fly ball rape gains. It's even easier than that. He lost 1.5 inches of vertical break on his fastball. Right. That's it. Guys, it was, it was elite. Yeah. It was near 17 inches, which is incredible. Down to fifteen point four, yeah, and that ends in one year, and the velocity went up. It's not always about velocity, right? So that's that's well, an issue. Yes, now, my, comment the,
0: my comment on velocity was more connected to his to health. Than, no, I am
1: I'm with you. Yeah. I agree with you. They're like, oh wait, that's a, that that's kind of interesting to me mm-hmm. because my first instinct goes, well, then how is he releasing it? Um, is it the spin axis off? Is it like is he just not getting the rights? spin that he normally would with that velocity because the force is there it's just about how the ball is leaving his hand right so i mean was that sticky stuff in 2022 i don't know i I mean what why did that go away so you know what throw it all away who cares do exactly what you said say hey you can draft severino we'll know after one game is he getting the same ivb the same vert on that four seamer or not and if it's 15.4 we're done Like that's okay. Now the second that he has a good start, we go to the numbers. What was it? You know, and that's it. And you're saying, Well, Nick, did that really change results? Fifty percent ICR on the four seamer last year, sub forty percent in twenty twenty two. Yes. Right. Yes.
0: And and he started he started going to the cutter way more last year because Because he had to because of the fastball issues. Yeah. Um and the cutter is was like weirdly in many ways his best pitch last year because his arsenal was was so terrible um but yeah i mean like it yes it was not he was not the same dude um and i love pointing out i i noticed that the um i i i in talking with you i've gotten so much better at like looking at um, vertical break and things like that because I've I, I've, I've had a, this whole transformation on a fastball over. because I've looked I, on breaking pitches. Obviously, we look at the movement way more than on fastballs, and I haven't trained my eyes on four seamers to always be looking at the the vertical break on it. Yeah, um, and it's 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 super important.
1: Yeah, I did an article with uh, an FTN. Um, Vlad asked me to write about like the secrets of uh, pitchers' metrics. I did at least seven pitfalls. And uh, one of them is at me outlining our incredible PLV app, which goes through every pitch type. And you can see just like, is this good IVB or not? Uh, and we're actually going to have IVB on our player pages soon. Mm. Oh my gosh, finally. And I can't wait. And I can quickly be like, all right, well, that, that got worse and that got better. So it's, I mean, definitely go check out that article on FTN to really understand what those numbers mean, which is good. What is bad? What do I look for ivb to me is the first thing second is uh obviously vaa but an extension Uh, i mean those are the the holy trinity i mean you can throw in velocity there too i try to say like the fantastic four um because it's you get okay and uh but really like uh (laughs) um reason for, for example that wheeler's is so good is actually not because of ivb he doesn't have a high ivb on his but he has such elite extension um, with a good VAA and velocity, that's and he locates that thing perfectly. Um, and there you go. But yeah, it, you seeing just see that massive drop. Like, okay, that's it for Severina. So yeah. pick him up, see what happens. Again, check it out in spring training. We might have that data. Um, hopefully, because he might pitch in some stat parks, I believe. The Yankees do. Um, unfortunately, he's with the Mets now, and the Mets maybe do. I uh, I don't know. A lot of Florida ones do, I think. Hmm, so true. I We'll see, we'll find out and I uh, will talk to my people to try and get it regardless. <laughs> and I'll report to you because I'll bring back the Plus Mitch podcast every every March morning going over the uh the tweets that I put out about who to watch in spring training and that will certainly include Severino. Uh we are of course going a bit long on this one. Um and I uh, I'll talk about my third pitch if you want there. I can guess what? It's a four-seamer. It's a oh, yeah? beautiful bullying four-seamer. It's the you know this you, you let the thing out of your hand do you, and do you, you have four spot. seam
0: and en- do you have four seam envy
1: yes because i, I always threw like, sinkers right but when i was able to execute a four seamer perfectly like up and in to a righty and dot that thing oh it just the satisfaction of that yeah. of just going feeling completely behind the ball and ripping it out of your hand straight to the spot like a laser beam was just so satisfying i uh, but yeah i absolutely do have four seamer envy it was like it was just never the thing I did. Yeah.
0: Oh, there's nothing more demoralizing as a hitter than just having a fastball boom by you.
1: Yeah, right? Oh, so So it is that. And James Paxton is the perfect example. Once again, I mean, I don't need to do anything about James Paxton here, guys. You know this. He was really good for a while. He got hurt. And it's, a, again, we're talking about easy decisions early on. Outside of the 300, we're looking through this. We're scouring for any sort of value. Why not James Paxton? He will sign mm-hmm. somewhere. They will let him start as he's healthy and then when he's not healthy yeah, just move on that's it we're done anything else out there eric no james Pax. cool <laughs> Bo- boring veteran big upside like, one go- the best last picks i don't know i mean no. like we'll see where he signs of course and hopefully he goes to a place where he can pitch that opening weekend that would be even better mm-hmm. um so you can even drop him after the first start because he'll get hurt done uh but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, James Faxon to me should just not be overlooked at this point because we just have to assume that he'll be healthy enough to start somewhere in the beginning of the year.
0: And it's one of those situations where we talked about this a bunch with pitch, with him, I think, specifically, but other pitchers too. It's like he's good when he's pitching, or when he's not pitching, you you IL him if you're in a league that allows that or you you cut him loose. Um yeah. they're, those, they're, there's value in that. Absolutely. I'm going the exact opposite um and with this kind of like you know veteran we've seen him do it before you wouldn't let me put one angel on this list so i'm going with another and i'm going with chase silseth yeah okay um and i i was in on chase silseth at the end of last year in the sense that i was intrigued by something that he had changed not in on in the sense of like oh my god here's a breakout like we're going to get the next big thing. But Silseth um, was really weird. He was like, he was an 11th round pick in 2021. A little over a year after he was drafted, he was already in the big leagues because the Angels have been pretty you know aggressive with promoting their young pitchers. And he had a 659 ERA in his first seven starts. Um, then they started using him as a multi-inning rel- uh, reliever In April last year, and then sent him down to the minor leagues, and then uh, he came back up and had totally changed his slider. Um, In the early part of the year, he was throwing the slider about eighty-five miles an hour. Uh, It had ten inches of horizontal movement. Um, It had about four and a half inches of a vertical of drop. When he came back up, he's throwing it just eighty point five miles an hour. Um, Eleven inches of horizontal movement over ten and a half inches of drop, so it almost kind of acted like a like a sweeping curveball in a sense, Um, and it almost it more than doubled uh, the swinging strike rate of what the pitch was doing early on in the year. He also started throwing the pitch as his primary pitch Um, in one start against the Yankees. He threw it forty six percent of the time in that first start when he got called back up. It had a twenty five point six percent. Swinging strike rate, um, it gave him a good another good pitch to go along with a fastball that is that at least has good velocity. The fast the four seam is a, is a problem; he can't rely on it too much, and that was why I like this development of this slider because he was throwing the four seam almost fifty percent of the time before kind of like finding this this sweeping curve slider, whatever we want to call it, and the fastball even though he throws ninety five, it just gets hit. Hard. Um, and so finding another pitch where he could rely on something else um, actually made the fastball more of a swing and miss pitch. He was using it a little bit more for, with two strikes. So the swing and strike rate went up on it. Um, he also started to go to a sinker more in the second half of the year. Uh, the sinker doesn't miss a lot of bats, um, but it also doesn't get hit as hard as the four seam. Um, so that was an interesting wrinkle. Um, he's just 23 years old. I like the fact that he's continuing to tweak and build this arsenal. I like the idea that he maybe is becoming more of like this sweeping slider sinker guy as opposed to a four seam splitter guy. And I think he has a spot in the rotation. And so I'm, I like taking shots on him at the end of drafts here because he's another guy where I think we'll see early on is there development, is there growth is he continuing to kind of move in this arsenal in a direction that is intriguing to us? Is that slider still missing lots of bats? Or was it a brief flash in the pan and, you know, whatever, we're moving on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, with Silseth, we, I, I will never forget beginning of August. I mean, he really had two starts. One was 10 strikeouts, one was 12. And everyone was asking, do I go after Chase Silseth or Cole, Cole Reagans? Reagans? I stuck to my Ray Guns. <laughs> but didn't... I'm just messing around. Yeah, and also
0: uh, Silseth got hit in the face.
1: Well, and that okay, that that's a different too. story. But it was also the fact that uh, he got uh, his slider was earning all the whiffs and one side was a splitter in the other. Um, and that's really dependent more so on righties versus lefties. But I generally don't like seeing games that have those high strikeout totals where it's dependent on a different element. Sure. Because you want to say like, oh, no, that's a lot of variety. But in my experience, I've actually seen that when there's variety... It means that nothing's consistent. It just means that this had a good day and this had a good day yeah. as opposed to really the consistency of it. Now, the splitter the splitter and the slider are interesting. The slider doesn't earn as many strikes as they want against the righties, uh, but I generally do like his approach more than I used to with that sinker. Than uh then the forcing. The forcing we just couldn't throw strikes with last year. And it's really good that as you mentioned, they switched that sinker focus, got inside a ton against righties, had a really high called strike rate, 27%, which is nice. And then you can really thank the slider for that, I think, because it was freezing a lot of guys um over the plate uh when they thought it would be a slider move in the opposite direction. Uh, and that's what we see with Sonny Gray a ton um in his uh his sinker. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the four seamer, though, still fifty percent usage overall against the lefties. Yeah, uh, which makes sense. You shouldn't really be throwing sinkers only uh, through about one percent sinkers against but it's the lefties.
0: The, to me, it's the cutter, right? Like, like he, yeah, he the cutter he maybe got, he had thrown the cutter more in the first half of the year and dialed it back. And his cutter, you know, again using the the tremendous pitcherless tools, you can look at um, his glove side location is only 40th percentile on on a cutter. Right, it
1: is not a good spotted cutter. Right. I mean the cutter was thrown 8% of the time against lefties, yeah. 48% against uh, with and, a four seam or 1% sinkers.
0: Yeah. And I kind of am like, okay, if we get the the splitter and the slider and we if we can use that cutter more against lefties and actually get it in on lefties like yeah. we should be using the cutter and not use that four seam. Like there there are lots of elements in his pitch mix right now. Some of them have developed to the point where you're like, "Oh, I like this," and others are just like, "I don't. What do you do? What are you doing here?" And I think we yeah. can see a young pitcher pair those down and start to like really kind of hone in on on a focus. Which again, he's only 23 years old, so that is well within the the range of possibilities. Is narrowing the focus a little bit? Um, I think there's. Something I, I think I worry
1: that. a lot about a 23% CSW on a splitter to opposite-handed batters. Um, that's a really low mark. And especially like off speed, like a changeup or a splitter to opposite handed batters should be where they thrive. Sure. And that twenty-three percent mark is worrisome I and mean, it's a splitter. I mean, I'm not really too you surprised spl- to see that. I hate them because they're inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare for them to be um, you know, really just the pitch from now. He does use it in two strike counts. It's about 60% two strike pitch. Uh, 23% put away rate, which kind of matches with a 23% CSW, right? So, I I see four seamer slider as a righty to a lefty where that four seamer gets hit with an ICR of 50%. That's worrisome to me. Again, right handing, uh, you know, beating right handers is more important for these younger guys. And really, all of his pitches, none of them were above a 38% ICR last year. That is encouraging because, as you mentioned, it is a good slider. Um, the sinker 71% strike rate as I mentioned before was good against righties it can work um, it, it, it's fine it's all fine it, that, but that's kind of the worry to me is like it's possibly sad as those 10-12 strikeout games again uh, I think the two elements that really worry me about Silseth so as I was just mentioning about the arsenal it's really just the slider that is interesting and everything else isn't too great in my view uh, a little bit boring. The four, the fastballs are both not really like. I don't really think the sinkers are going to perform the same way. So is, I don't really feel like we're going to extract a lot of those double digit strikeout games again. And I don't really think this is going to be like your six inning battler kind of guy constantly. But I could be very wrong in that. Yeah. The real issue is as the Angels, and if we're if you're asking Silaseth to do things to improve, they just got rid of the two guys that were actually helpful. In development, the guy who fixed Reed Detmers went to the minors. Buddy Carlisle gone. Like it's incredible to me how easy it is for me just to say, "Well, I need a guy to get better on the Angels," and that's not going to (laughs) happen. Like it's just it's it's that's such a hard sell for me with Seth, and I feel worried that like I'm not going to be able to latch on to him in a way that makes me feel confident. Uh, One way or the other, really. Ah, uh, which has me leaning away from him, but I do recognize the slider is very good. And he finds ways to get more strikes with either the four seam or the cutter against lefties. Sinker stays as it was against righties last year. Yeah, there's a way that this does work.
0: Boom. Cross <laughs> our fingers. Uh, what is your fourth favorite pitch, and who's your fourth pitcher?
1: Um, fourth favorite pitch, I'll just go with the steady eddy of a sinker. That's fine. I uh, actually, you know what? No, beautiful changeups are so such a nice thing. Yes. Can I tell um, you? That's my, I'm actually going go to go to my one. my fifth pitcher because it follows this guy. All Ooh. right, Nick Martinez, who I'm going to make this very quick and easy. I've been joking all year about like let Nick Martinez start, let him do it, and it's so funny because Nick Martinez signs with the team to be a starter, and then they get a sixth starter. That <laughs> is Frankie Montes, They have. Yeah. They really have like eight starters now. They have Connor Phillips also there. They have Brandon Williamson there. It it's pretty wild to me. But I think that actually might be a six-man rotation because if you look at the entire Reds uh, rotation, you have Lodolo in green and you have Graham Ashcraft, you have Montas, you have Nick Martinez, you have Andrew Abbott. All of those guys are not really workhorses. They're not really guys that you want to be depending on for 180 uh, innings. So in that case, I yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, and I I think that Nick Martinez is someone that if he does get regular spots in the rotation regular starts. Uh there's a lot to like here. Uh the changeup is a 31% usage pitch last year. I think he could push up to 35% or higher. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous. This is like a Marco Estrada changeup. It has incredible results across the board. His curveball is a really good strike pitch as well. It's a big drop on it. And I do think there are elements of moving away from the four seamer and utilizing the sinker correctly um to right handers and utilizing against righties honestly just do changeup curveball cutter more um the cutter can get a little bit lower down um and then there you go you've got it done cuz that changeup honestly is just stupid good um take a note from Michael Waka I think a bit last year is what um Nick Martinez did and like I can see this working out super well also if he does move down that cutter a bit then it does lean into the infield defense hopefully of the reds that should be decent and are better than last year at the very least with their improvements there and not putting it in the air at great american small park i think moving to great american small park is what is depressing his value a ton yeah but when you realize that nick martinez should be a ground ball pitcher i it does make a lot of sense so i think there's Grand some value to with, with a nick pretty martinez. solid
0: athletic young defense behind him
1: too yeah Uh, That changeup, I really just want it to be like a 40% usage, but it is such a good offering.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm surprised how little people seem to be buying into what he's selling. Um, And this isn't all just related to Montas because that signing was relatively recently. Um, I do think it's a lot of great American ballpark and I do think it's a lot of oh, he went over you know into eight to Asia and had to like you know revamp his career and maybe he's not that good and w- I don't know whatever. Um, but yeah I, I think I think he's probably gonna start and I'm definitely intrigued by him here at the, I know he doesn't have the floor of, of sorry the ceiling of some of your other picks like Edward Cabrera. Um, but I think he's probably more stable
1: yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I just throw more changeups. If you're throwing a lot more changeups and he's avoiding leaning too hard into the four seamer uh, and maybe gain that cutter down and throwing more curveballs, like this could very much work, Nick Martinez. Yeah. Uh, I am
0: not leaning toward anything safe with my next one uh, because one of the other gambles I will take, we talked about uh, injury related gambles. We talked about gambles on people who maybe just, let's just assume he, he figures it out again, Luis Severino. We have prospect or young pitcher gambles and Chase Silseth, and we have missed a whole year gambles in Aaron Ashby, um, who's currently going pick 429 off the board. Um, reports in October were that uh, his velocity was ticking back up, um, and I'll tell you more about why I like Aaron Ashby after this break. For my purposes, I I think Aaron Ashby has a spot in the rotation, provided he is healthy. Um, I know they signed Joe Ross. I know they have Colin Ray, Colin Raya. I never know exactly how to pronounce his his last name. Colin Ray. I I don't think that they prevent a healthy Aaron Ashby um, from being in that rotation, Um, particularly because the rotation only has one lefty in in Wade Miley. Um, Ashby missed all of last year. Um, He threw 107 innings in 2022, 444 ERA. Um, He has always missed bats. The issue has been command. Um, And that's why people kind of said, oh, he'll be a reliever, maybe a multi-inning reliever. Um, But he was always a really good gamble, in my opinion, late in drafts um, prior to the injury because it was one of those pitches where like, if he could get the command even just to be to be workable, right? It's not like he's going to become a pinpoint location guy, but if he could just not walk almost four batters <laughs> per nine innings, um, then this, the pure stuff was good enough that he was going to miss bats and he was going to be a good pitcher on a good team. Um, mm-hmm. And so all of that still is there. Um, he's got a fine sinker. It's fairly mediocre. It doesn't miss bats. Um, you could say it's probably below mediocre. Um, the slider is a good pitch. Um, the you know the changeup I think is a is in some ways his best pitch. Um, it has the makings of being his best pitch. Um, it it misses lots of bats. Um, it has good movement. He's got a curveball too that I think is above average. So we've got three above average complimentary pitches breaking pitches and a eh, sinker but we've seen a lot of people make that work especially from the left side. Um, and so I don't know I, I just think like he's being forgotten about a little bit. Um, I think that slider is you know deadly to lefties um I I like the team context still, because I still think the Brewers are going to win enough games um, that, you know, he could put up, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 wins. Um, And I think the, the the approach is solid versus lefties and righties because the changeup in 2022 was, was good against right-handed pitching. The sinker, you know, got some ground balls. He threw the slider 25% of the time to righties in 2022. And it had a 19% swing strike rate. Like, that slider was workable against righties as well. And he leaned on the changeup a lot, which I think is a solid pitch too. So um, yeah, I wouldn't forget about Aaron Ashby.
1: Yeah. I I mean, the whole joke is me taking the pitchers meetup in 2021. We all went to Fenway and we went to restaurant after and like everyone's talking and there I am in the corner watching Aaron Ashby's like second game ever against the Cubs. It was only like 21 pitches. It was just like, I need to watch this right now. Excuse me. By like on my phone and everything. Um, he's such, he's really good eye candy, right? It's so fun to watch his sinker move a ton, his big slider, this changeup. And especially back in 2021, I mean, batters really struggled. Righties really struggled. 25% ICR yeah. against the sinker. It got a lot worse in 2022. In 2022, yeah. Um, there were two aspects that got worse, both for righties and lefties. Against righties, the sinker was a lot more hittable. Um, and that was a bit worrisome for me as I felt as if he wasn't really utilizing the changeup enough. The changeup is still so good mm-hmm. uh, at holding back hard contact, a high strike rate above 65%, actually the highest of any of his three major pitches against uh, right-handers. And I, I think that there's something to be said about the sinker not being as dominant then near 40% ICR all of a sudden. Um, it, it was. It's also really interesting to see Aaron Ashby work where he can't always put away batters. And that means he sometimes loses them. That's why he has a near 10% walk rate. But watching him, he didn't really feel like this was a guy who should have a 10% walk rate. He has high enough strike rates that he shouldn't, except for lefties with a slider. It was so ridiculous. He had like a 70% strike rate on a sinker, but then a 57% on a slider. This is against lefties. This should be you trouncing them endlessly with his big pitch, and he couldn't do it so it could be something you said about the shoulder balk, barking a little bit and uh, and affecting this a, l- a bit it's exciting i wonder if if ashby does need to figure out a four seamer a little sure um i don't i don't know i don't know if he can really rely on the sinker against right handers i say it a ton sinkers to the same to opposite hand batters are just generally not the best option yeah however the changeup is that good and as long as he doesn't make as many mistake pitches with the slider of the zone leans on that change i mean and really gets strikes out of them because the guys will swing out their shoes on that pitch um there is a lot to like with it. i think it's a really fun pick i used to be more out on ashby uh, like entry this time last year i was out on ashby and i uh, and coming back around after the injury i mean this is before we knew about the injury um i can see how we can come together better uh than i did last year so i like this pick from you and i i hope he gets that opportunity they say that he's really going at it. The Vossi, as you mentioned, is back up for Ashby. So, yeah, um, the Brewers would be foolish not to at least give him a chance in the rotation. Right. Lately.
0: And we don't know what he's what he's done. He may have a new four seam. Um, I'm, I'd be curious to see him. I'm interested to see him throw like legitimately in spring training. I, I'm, you know, I will tune up like the the first Aaron Ashby two innings <laughs> of the spring. Chase Silseth, like give give him all to me. We'll see.
1: Yeah. The the worst part is that none of them have a good camera angle except Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh gets it. They understand what a good camera angle is all about. And I can't thank them enough for that. Of everything that they've done to disappoint us, um, they do know. They know, job. And they I, know and what baseball fans panel, want. I'd be really surprised if Ashby sudden had a good four seamer. And just in 2022, release extension is really bad. It's like 5.4, which is so, it's like terrible. Bottom ranks here of extension for Ashby. Induced vertical break, 13.5. And it's a super steep VAA. So, trying to elevate on this is just not a good idea sure. whatsoever. Um, it really does seem like you have to do the Dallas Keuchel method of the neck beard as much as possible. Maybe a cutter. Maybe say, a cutter. You have a
0: cutter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A cutter might be the way I mean, you got Wade Miley there, buddy. You got Corbin Burns. You got all the cutters you want. And that, I think, is the is something I would be looking into if I ran Aaron Ashby then because you can't and
0: Miley wasn't not this. Was Miley there? I'm trying to think.
1: I mean Miley forever is a brewer in my view. I don't care what you yeah. tell me. I, it's like I knew he was gonna sign with the brewers again because of course you are. You're just the brewer pitcher. Which is funny. I know the, the millions other teams you've pitched for it doesn't matter, but you he, are a brewer. He is
0: not twenty twenty three was the only year Miley was there when Aaron Ashby was there.
1: Oh that's interesting. Because he
0: he was in Milwaukee Wade Miley was in Milwaukee in twenty eighteen <clears throat> and then left and then came back in 2023 um so listen we're, we're not like we're not like putting pieces together we're like oh wade miley is definitely teaching aaron ashby a cutter but like it if the opportunity was going to present itself this would be the first time because ashby wasn't even drafted till 2018 you know,
1: I, I can't believe i'm sorry i i just don't believe it i'm seeing the data you're seeing it too I don't believe that Wade Miley was on three different teams in four years between 2018 and 2023. I'm sorry. I just can't in my heart believe that. And think right now, if you're listening, like, wait, what were these teams? 2019, Wade Miley, he was on that Astros team. 2020, 2021, it was the Reds. 2022, it was the Cubs. And then now it's back to the Brewers. And he was always on the Brewers. I don't care. It's fine. He's just the, he's just the bird to me. Um, we have one more here, and one for me, and one, more, one more for you, and one more. And uh, this pitch is going to be. Uh, it's got to be my sinker. It's got to be. This. I'm sorry. I, like I love the forkball I used to throw. It was so fun. But that sinker was just all reliable, man. Just a. Re- it's the most underrated pitch in baseball. Is the under is the early sinker inside off the plate. I just can't express that enough. And those that can execute it well are the ones that succeed the most. Um, So I'm going to go with Jameson Tyone, who I talked about this with uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago now. And what's so interesting about Tyone to me is that conversation really put a lot of nuance to 2023 for me. really was struggling, wasn't really finding his groove a bit. And we watched this start in September where he was really showcasing that, hey, I'm getting better with the catcher now. I'm getting into the rhythm. I'm getting my focus. I understand the things that I need to be doing. Um, and I really actually, on the stream, I, if you guys watched the one of me doing the Cubs a couple weeks ago, I literally texted Tyone during it saying, hey, I want to talk about this with you. <laughs> and it was his four-seamer spots um, against righties. I really hate... Four seamers spotted away in middle, uh, same handedness. I think it's one of the worst things you could do with the pitch. If there's any intent that you have with it outside, like down the middle or down and down in middle or whatever, you don't want to do that. Just get that thing up or down with intent. Just do not have this massive red hot spot of away in middle. And uh, talking to him more in, in in that video, he was saying, yeah, he just was struggling with it. It just wasn't something that Tyone could find a feel for. He was really trying to figure out what to do there. Same thing with the lefties. He didn't really know how to utilize his, his cutter quite right. And then um, what the right approach is that he wanted. Maybe some front hits, hip stuff with a sinker, some, uh, you know, the backdoor cutter, how to use the, or backdoor curveball, how to use the sweeper. And that conversation, guys, it's going to be on YouTube next week. I really implore everybody to watch it because you see that this is not a pitcher who's just going to be like, I'm who I was the last three years. Um, one thing that he's actually really focusing on that was great during that conversation was four-seamer intent upstairs and getting back to the place that he was with the Yankees. Um, I, I saw in 2021, Jameson Tyone had four seamers upstairs at 15% swing strike rates, 20% swing strike rates against righties back then, which is, yes, that is insanely good. But as he said in the video, he was saying, look, guys, like I would do that and I will get my whiffs early on, but then I had nothing else once I get to 01. Like I could not figure out a way to put away this at bat because he hadn't developed the pitches that he has now but guess what the sweeper he really figured out at the end of the year and that is going to be a massive pitch for him uh as a whiff pitch against righties i think he's going to be utilizing it as a backdoor pitch to lefties he might actually be using that cutter more as a kind of a gyro slider um in down and into lefties uh we saw that game on september 8th against the arizona Diamondbacks, where he was spotting that cutter down away perfectly do back door and then saved the four seamer upstairs for whiffs exactly as he should he didn't even utilize another weapon that i just mentioned which was that sinker inside he didn't need to because he was dominating so well with that cutter away and that's still in his pocket too and what i see with Tayum is a great defense behind him a pitcher who can go six innings constantly and a full repertoire that i think he does utilize correctly that mm-hmm. he actually has the intent down pat and is working better with his catcher to be in a place that he can figure it out through the game. Now I want to be careful because I certainly know that I have a bias when I talk to players that I want to believe as much as possible that they are going to do the things but they that they want to do, do and they're play. able to execute every time. And I do acknowledge and Tyone did too, that he was just really feeling it that game against the Diamondbacks. Like that was a game where you really had that cutter working in that spot that said he did give a really good nuance about the things that he was fixing and tweaking and working on that i think is really good um also how much of a struggle it was for him in the first half and how it opened up for him in the second half and it wasn't mm-hmm. just like i remember actually so distinctly before that uh september 8th start a lot of cubs twitter was just like stop letting tyone pitch this is ridiculous and the thing is he was actually having these these not necessarily great Outings and the the bottom line, but his stuff was better. His approach right. was better. Well, you could see that it was there. Yeah, and and I was uh, it, it made me so enraged because I'm just like, guys, you don't understand. Like he's actually doing. This. You should be excited. What don't be it? upset. Be excited. It's right around the corner.
0: And it was interesting too because he had he had come off a really good July, and I remember you even like you were doing a lot of talking and writing about how he was making changes and they were moving in the right direction the slider
1: was the sweeper was coming together he was actually going down and away properly he was and then
0: he had a bad month of august and then he finished the year with a good month of september so like there's a narrative that he was like oh he was starting to turn the corner and then he didn't um and i do think that's impacting his adp right now which um is 311 um, right after luis severino and, I, and he really did have a solid second half of the year in all the ways that you talked about. Um, the barrel rate was going down, the swing strike rate went up, the whiffs per swing uh, went up, his defense independent ERA went down, his actual ERA went down, the batting average allowed went down. Like all, in in addition to all of the actual, you know, repertoire changes that you were talking about, um, he did make some changes uh, to the cutter as well, um, and that improved in terms of like taking some of the velo um, off you know adding a little more cut to it um you know there there are there are tweaks along the way and we always talk about like when tweaks lead to results we can take notice a little bit it's not just yeah. like, oh we had a great september let's see if he can keep it going it's like he had a pretty good second half of the year because he made specific changes yeah, exactly. and there was a blip where those didn't work out so well. And that happens when you make changes because no pitcher is going to change pitches in an arsenal and it's just going to like, it doesn't click every single start. There's going to be some bad ones in there until they really get
1: comfortable with it. I need to really clarify. I'm not saying that Jameson Tynos is going to have a breakout season. Um, I would love that. I think that he does have the capability of it. But breakout season to him, though, is like a 23% strikeout rate with like a three, four-year ray and a 115 whip or something, right?
0: But he's going 30-plus picks after like Marcus Stroman.
1: Right. And it's also a good defense behind him. Michael Walker Cubs hopefully get another bat or something to to make that offense okay. Um, But uh, I guess what I'm getting at is he still needs to figure out the left how to deal with lefties actually it was really illuminating to say like look i was trying to throw my cutter in the right spot and just kept, kept getting hit and i lost my confidence in that to lefties but i actually would imagine that he's going to return to that and there is the nullifier for lefties which i think is the biggest struggle for him at the moment while righties he has that cutter away he's a sweeper away he, he can save his four or more he has a sinker inside like he's do, he does really well against right handers which again better be good against right handers than left handers so he's oh yeah he's also learning a splitter which actually I'm excited about because it's not his number two pitch it's like this other weapon that he could use um, so there's a lot of fun aspects of ways that this does work and at this point you're searching for someone who can go six innings consistently on a team that could theoretically get some wins with a good defense behind him like I think about the the Diamondbacks um, where and the Cardinals where we had these. Toby pitchers throughout the entire year, like Miles Michaelis and even Merrill Kelly in that year, and it was all a product of defense. Uh, I mean, sure there were little tweaks that Merrill Kelly made, which I'm the change up grip was different, definitely. But Miles Michaelis, that was the defense behind him. And if you follow the defense for a guy that can go six innings with a wide repertoire, who doesn't walk a lot of batters, that is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why James in time for me after pick three hundred is like, no, I can see myself absolutely going after this.
0: Yeah. Love it all all good things you're you're also selling me on him a little more than I when you first mentioned you were going to talk about him. I was not as convinced. Um, I'm a little more convinced right now,
1: yeah, twelve teamers, it's like if you're in a quality start league, okay, but twelve teamers it's it depends on the opening weekend. I think he actually yeah. has a good start if he is in that first three, which he should be. That might be a fun like late late pick just to get a start down and then go from there.
0: More of a 12 team pick is my last pick mm-hmm. uh, because one of the other things you can do outside of the top 300 is take a total gamble <laughs> on a pitching prospect. Uh, and what better pitching prospect to take a total gamble on than Ricky Tiedemann? Um,
1: oh,
0: Ricky Tiedemann, probably with the Blue Jays, probably one of the best pitching prospects um, in baseball right now. Um, Up to 99, um, from the left side on the fastball will sit in the mid nineties when he's like actually going into, into longer outings. The 99 is more like, you know, in shorter stints, um, as we've talked about the importance of IVB, his is fairly average. Um, no, it's, it is terrible. Um, I've, I've, it, it I is 11.9 below, slightly below
1: average, but yeah, he has like 15 it, inches it, it, of it horizontal. Is not, this is like an atrocity. It's like essentially like a singer.
0: Okay. Maybe uh, prospects, we had in reports, are trying to be nice and not say it's an atrocity, but. <laughs> But it has a it has fifteen inches of, of arm side run um coming in at like ninety five, which is pretty cool because the changeup uh has like twenty inches of arm side run. Um yeah. and he, he mirrors those pretty well because um he, you know, just whatever, controls the arm speed, consistent arm speed. They both have um Run away from right-handed hitters. So when you're throwing, you know, 97, and then you're throwing an 83 mile an hour changeup, and they're both diving away, it can be really hard to kind of differentiate the two. Um, and then there are some prospect writers who believe his sweeper is his best pitch. Um, it's got massive amount of sweep. Also sits in the low 80s. Um, you know, good depth to the break. All all this kind of stuff. There's nothing in the profile that anybody has like major qualms with they have qualms with his health and can he pitch deep into games Um, he did pitch five innings multiple times in the Arizona Fall League um, which is giving me a little bit of hope that he can be a five inning guy in 2024 and right now I see the Blue Jays fifth starter is Alec Manoa and I'm just not entirely sure that that's how 2024 is going to start. So, if the Blue Jays don't add an arm, um, I think we head into 2024 with the possibility that Ricky Tiedemann is battling with a maybe rejuvenated, maybe healthy, who really knows what we're getting, Alec (laughs) Manoa. Um, And, you know, a lot of other guys, like, nothing that really intrigues me. Bowden Francis is maybe... Like, Mitch White. Mitch yeah. White. Yeah. Um, like, so, so
1: i, I think I very Tiedemann much in agreement with you. I'm gonna tell you that likely the Blue Jays are gonna sign one more guy. Um, just something. Sure. And Ricky Tiedemann has also been babied by the Jays for a long time. Um only four innings in AAA last year, 32 innings yeah. in double A, and six in a uh, single A last season. Obviously returning from injuries, uh he also had two innings in CPX. Uh but uh, it's it's been even before 2023 we were saying like hey they've been really slow with him and want to be careful and I imagine that means that they won't push him out of the gate in the majors right they're going to still likely be slow with him even if they have an open spot for him they'll do some shenanigans with the early days off to maybe fill in, fill in with a bullpen game when they need it to make a four man if Alcmanoa just doesn't have it at least try Alcmanoa for like three four starts or something I don't know you're going to have to wait until May at the earliest I think for Ricky Tiedemann um, more likely to me it would be June 1st or May 15th or something. Right. Well, um, But the the actual stuff and like, you know, what are we going to get when we see them? I'm I, i I'm conflicted because it's a sinker focus to me. It's not really forcing. This is a sinker. This is a slinging sure. lefty. And I mean, come on. You get like a 12 IVB and it's more horizontal break and stuff. This is from the sure. down left side. It might as well be a sinker. So I, it's not a overwhelming pitch. Um, it can be goes up to 99. And so I remember seeing that in AAA last year. And I remember tweeting out like, this is the truth, but then that's not what he sits. He sits 95, right? He's not yeah. actually that. Yeah. And especially
0: he was when relief appearances, his he's going to
1: run it up to 99. He had a couple yeah, like right. one
0: and two inning starts, but okay. still, you know, let's, let's call it 94, right. 95.
1: Now what I am seeing is, um is locations are great on the changeup and sweeper. Which is something that I'm actually not really used to when it comes to slinging lefties. I normally see really command and control not being good, and obviously the high walk rates that you're seeing are there. But I think that might be more of a product of the the running fastball going off the plate, especially to right-handers. Because against writers, what are you going to do? What are you doing, Ricky? Uh, throwing a horizontal plane fastball. Um, you have to be able to get that inside as a front hip essentially, and that's so difficult as a hitter. That running sinker that comes in super hard angle back to you is just like, is this going to stay off the plate? Or it's coming right at me and then stopping almost. It's kind of hard to time and get the bat around, especially if you have a good velocity to it. And then, of course, you have this deadly changeup and and sweeper. They're both really good pitches. It's kind of like a Guardians pitcher in this way. Um, so that seems cool. It seems like a recipe for a cherry bomb. And I, when it comes to prospect pitchers coming up, I, I look back at last year, the ones that I really liked were like Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, Yuri Perez, uh, Bobby Miller. And the, those are the guys, actually, I didn't really like Tanner Bybee. Everyone, it, it's well-known, uh, diagnosed, or not diagnosed, but documented that I didn't. I like Gavin Williams a little bit more, but I still didn't really buy into his consistency. The four I just mentioned, though, and Grayson Rodriguez in the second half, they had a foundation of a fastball. And they had, a found, and they had essentially a repertoire that I trusted that they weren't going to walk the park. Mm-hmm. Um I don't have that with Ricky Tiedemann. I don't have the when the second that he comes up that he does really well. I wasn't in on Kyle Harrison when he came up because I, I remember seeing the first time be like, this guy is not going to be a consistent uh guy. He had that 12 strikeout game against the Reds, and that wasn't uh I, I saw that and I go, No, 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 no. <laughs> not gonna be the consistency for Kyle Harrison. That was the Reds in Oracle Park, and Kyle Harrison was able to throw enough strikes in that one and where he wanted to for once. So I, I think with Ricky Tiedemann, I get why the love is there. I mean, 43% uh, strike rate is where you're going to see in AAA, but again, it was four innings and 40% though in 32, like we get how this works. I, uh, but it was also 14% walk rate in, in those 32 innings. And, it worries me that come the majors, there's going to be volatility that is just gonna be so frustrating. And I hate volatility, Eric. Sure. I hate it so I mean, much.
0: But for me, like I guess when I'm looking at this in like a 12 team league, I'm you're gonna stash for six weeks? No. Well, I mean, but I think if I'm taking him at the end of drafts, it's because I'm I believe that there's a chance that he earns a spot out of the out of spring. Fair enough. And from what I've read from a few prospect writers that I trust, there is a chance right now that he can win a spot out of spring. Um, mm-hmm. If he doesn't, I probably move on. But again, we're talking about that you know, makes sense. We're talking about a bench starting pitcher at the end of drafts in like a, a twelve team league where you're looking to churn more. And realistically, where I would churn if he becomes a cherry bomb, right? If yeah, I get a great is, start and then a an eh start and a great start yeah. and a an eh start, then I then I might say this isn't for me. But I would much rather take if I'm going to take a prospect pitcher like this. I would much rather take a guy who, if it hits, then I'm talking about like I'm getting a SP2, SP3 on my roster. And and the likelihood of that might not be high, but I'd rather take the gamble on that because as we've talked about so many times, I'm expecting that I'm going to churn the last few spots of my starting pitchers in 12 team leagues. So I would rather take at least one gamble. I'm not going to fill my entire... Oh, yeah, no, I'm not of gonna course. fill my entire bench of starting pitchers of Ricky Tiedeman types. But if I've got somebody like, you know, I took Jamison Tyone. Um again, we just talked about how he's more of a 15 team guy, Teas- but whatever.
1: As in, like, teasing, yeah. by the way, that's where I'm Ricky
0: Teaseman. Um yeah. <laughs> but like, but then I'll throw him on there because maybe I get a, a maybe it clicks for him and, and maybe I'm getting five really good five inning starts. Lots of so, strikeouts, and if it doesn't work, then
1: I find the next guy that's on waivers. I think the the thing where we're connected here is I'm all fine getting him now. Just be ready the second that they say he's For not sure. starting with the team. Get 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 him out of here. Yeah. And I, my, my belief at this moment is that I I would be very surprised. Yes. Um. I would be very shocked if the Jays had Tiedemann starting out of the gate. I understand that there could be a chance like he could earn it and look great. I get that. Um I I'm putting it at a very lower lower number and look, it sounds like people know more about the situation than I do, that's very fair. Um that's why I'm more out on mm. tiedemann I also question if I'm going to be able to make a decision. Like mm. if he comes up and does well in one or two starts, like how confident am I really going to be in this? But who cares, right? We're talking like the end of the draft. If he's if he's on the on your roster right away, obviously the second read Ricky Tiedemann comes up, great. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to, and maybe it's our next one or in two, um, is we are going to have our prospects pitcher podcast, and I gotta say, Eric, this is the year that I've been most prepared. Than any other when it comes to prospect pitchers.
0: I know. I'm gonna. Okay? I gotta. I'm getting into it right now. I gotta catch you. And that that podcast actually it's slated. We're gonna record that uh, the day after my birthday.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh man, you're turning what thirty <laughs> two? I wish. I got you, buddy.
0: I'm turning. Uh, I'm turning thirty nine. Also, I have recorded this entire podcast uh, with a ice pack wrapped around my lower back. So no, that's the grind. It's the grind people. We're just we just playing through injuries over here. Oh my
1: gosh, Eric, what happened?
0: Uh, I'm thirty nine years old and my <laughs> son my, and my son is like thirty five. That's yeah, how they
1: sell t shirts now. And my
0: son yeah. is like thirty five pounds and sometimes I pick him up the wrong way and who knows. Uh, yeah. Also, you know, holidays and traveling and airplanes and cars and, you know, whatever. Cars. Stuff,
1: cars, stuff, ma'am. Stuff,
0: stuff that you never had to worry about when you were younger. But I did oh was a jig new I did get a standing desk at work and it's just I,
1: I'm thinking about doing it to mine. I really gotta am. Do I've it. got this i got a long great. one though. I'm like a 72 inch desk guy. Yeah. And I uh, I might do it. I might the, do it. My desk like at work. I asked engine.
0: them to I asked them to put one in for me and I I had no shame in my game. And I said I have some back issues and it'd be great if I could stand up at work and they were like, We'll put one in.
1: Oh so, man, Jason Collette would be so proud of us right now.
0: And and it it, it feels great. Um my, it feels great. My childhood friend who's a chiropractor was really happy for me. She said it was she said it was well worth it.
1: Well, all right. I uh, Eric, I'm so glad it's a new year. We've got so much ahead. Yeah,
0: we've got some we've got some
1: juice. We've got some
0: juice here. We've got some pep in our step. We are ready to go. Um we're gonna keep churning out these podcasts for you guys, so hopefully you stick around and enjoy them and we'll we'll get you ready for your twenty twenty four drafts. Um I am Eric Simulski, the Pelican.
1: I'm Nick Pollock the Lion.
0: And I'm going to go put some icy hot on my back. We'll catch you next week.